So because Zadik has a big chassidic and there are a lot of misnads in the ground. Okay, I'm sure everyone's learning, everyone's busy, it's okay. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Purim. Um, actually, today is, today is the seventh, today was the seventh of other, Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday, birthday and Yardzeit, um, which is very connected with the story of Purim. You know that, uh, yeah, because it says that when Haman threw the lats, Oh, yeah. And came out the month of Adar. Yeah. So it says, He was very happy. He says, This is the day that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. So it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a good omen, good sign for him. If, oh, yeah. if the leader of the Jewish people passed away, so it's a good omen for Haman. Haman thought that was a good idea. And then you had the heavenly voice that says, You don't realize this day he passed away, but it's also the day he was born. The one, the, the one who brought salvation to Claudius Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu was born, so it's the day of his mazel. And ultimately, this is the day that the entire month is going to be transformed to a month of Simcha. I heard once a beautiful vart that it says the Haman was uh, happy because it was the day that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. You know, many Tzadikim passed away. Every Tzadik passes away. What, what was his tremendous Simcha that it was the day that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away? But he says it's a lot deeper. He says not just that, that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, but Moshe Rabbeinu davened so many tefillahs that he shouldn't pass away then, and they should go into Eretz Yisrael. Mm-hmm. So Haman says, today is a day that represents that even when Jews pray, they're not answered. Mm-hmm. That's what he saw Moshe Rabbeinu's passing away. He says, he says that, that, you know, Jews pray and they're not answered, so it's a good omen for me, because I know they're going to do a lot of prayers. And today proves that the prayers aren't always answered. But Haman doesn't understand that by, by Yiddish Farkert, we learn our concept of tefillah from Moshe Rabbeinu's prayers, v'schanan al Hashem, because the Yid knows that even if we don't see always the immediate answer to our prayers, we believe every tefillah went to the right place, and Hashem heard every tefillah and answered it in ways that sometimes we see and sometimes we don't. So we don't, we don't look at it as a day of failed prayer, chas v'shom. But that was uh, Haman's uh, perspective, is if a tefillah is not answered, that means Hashem's not listening, so I have a chance. Okay, be that as it may, I want to talk about a couple of points here. I actually... Um, I'm cheating a little bit because on Monday nights I give a class um, for women in, and we've been learning Ashar HaBitochen about uh, Bitochen and Hashem. So last night we did a class on learning certain messages of Bitochen from the story of Purim. Faith really? in Hashem from the story of Purim. So I'm, 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 I'm copying, a, copying a little bit from this. Right, so um, Avram, don't tell anybody about this, but uh, so we'll go over a couple of points, but there's different nuances always, so it won't be total Chazara. Uh, so we'll start here on the top of the page. No, we're not going through all the time. We're going through a few points. Yesterday we did 10 points, 10 points of Bitochen from Purim, but today we'll focus on a couple of them. Um, number one, what was the, the reason, what was the cause for the terrible decree of Purim? You have to understand that the decree of Purim, never in the history of the Jewish people, before or after, was there a decree like the decree of Purim? Because the entire Jewish people, men, women, and children, were in grave danger. And we've had a lot of difficulties throughout Golos, but never such a situation. What about, what about uh, the Holocaust? Yeah. Was in a certain part of the world, right? There yeah, were, he, there was, intend, he intended all. He intended, but millions of Jews never under, came under his jurisdiction. Oh, um, oh, in see, his part of the world, he was the boss, and he would have wanted to do everything. Yeah. Um, and the same things, uh, you know, the Nazis in their time, and the Inquisition in their time, and the Communists in their time, and the Greeks. But everyone was dealing with part of Klal Yisrael. What made the story of Purim different is, as the Megillah says, that Ahasuerus was the monarch over the entire civilized world, 127 countries, and he made a xere, made a decree that all of the Jewish people in all of the countries of the kingdom, which meant all of the entire civilized world, 
were meant to be killed on one day, which is a decree that's unparalleled. We don't have in history there was there was a monarch like like this in in in, in the entire world. We don't have in the history of the of present history. In the time of the Megillah, we have Achashverosh, who is the Molech of Mehodu Varkush, which was he was the he was the monarch over the civilized world at that time. We're talking about a, you know we're talking about thousands of years ago, but uh, then you had a, a monarch. Be that as it may, so the Gemara asks the question: Why were the Jews worthy of such a terrible decree, of such a special, of such a terrible skir? And it's a discussion in the Gemara Masechta Megillah. The Talmidim of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai discussed it with him, and there's two reasons given. We're going to focus on one of them, and that is the first reason of the Gemara, the most famous, which is Nehenu Misudaso Shel Oso Russia, that the Jewish people. Um, had Hanah, they had uh, benefit and uh, pleasure from attending the Feast of Achashverosh. Because they attended the Feast of Achashverosh, that's why they were deserving of this terrible decree and terrible punishment. Which begs the obvious question, why? Why is that so terrible if they benefited from that, from the Feast of Achashverosh? I mean, after all, uh, I mean, you know, okay, it's not appropriate, even if it's not kosher. But for eating not kosher foods, one doesn't deserve the death penalty. And not, definitely not the entire Klal Yisrael. And, and especially since, according to many opinions, it was kosher. That's what you're going to ask, right? The Gemara says, So that the, you know, oh, the, the yeah. Shilas, but there's opinions that it was even kosher. That had to do with what the Suda was about. Oh, so there's, so what are the answers given? And that's probably what you're what you're referring to. And this is a question that's discussed in many. As far as counted the years, we thought there was a sign that the basement was going to be built. Exactly, exactly. So this is an answer given by the Manos Alevi, which is Rishlam Alkivus and others, and they say that it wasn't just any regular feast, but rather, rather, the feast was celebrating what was in Achashverosh's mind, the final nail in the coffin for the Jewish hope, because. We know the Jewish people had gone into exile almost 70 years earlier, and they were promised that the exile of Buffalo would be a 70-year exile. And according to Achashverosh's um, calculation, the 70 years were up. And therefore, this feast was really a celebration that the Jews are not, they're never going to be redeemed. And so much so, he brought out to that feast the kalim, the vessels, the Mesa Mikdash. He wore the high priest's garments, the big day kahuna, because he was celebrating it wasn't just a celebration, it was celebrating the downfall of Jewish hope. But did the Jews know that that was what the feast was? So it would seem so. It would seem was, he wasn't hiding it. He had no reason to hide it. Um, in fact, it's interesting, it, there's a whole historical backdrop to Purim. He wasn't the first that made a feast celebrating that because the, he had, there was a whole question of how to calculate the 70 years because really the, the Babylonian exile happened in a few stages. From the king Yehoyakim and Yehoyakim and first part went in the Chacharish Vamaskir and the Talmud Chachamim. So the question is where you count it from. Um, but Midir Azimah makes this meal this feast, this great feast, and celebrating the downfall of Jewish hope. The downfall of really hope in Geula, of redemption. Because, you know, you guys had a chance, you blew it, you had a base on Mikdash, you blew it, it's done. And now I'm the king. When the Jewish people come to such a feast, what they're really doing is, they're giving in to them. What they're really doing is, they're also expressing a loss of hope in Geula. This feast is celebrating that, you know what, Geula is not coming. You're in Golas for the long run. He's the king, he's the boss, this is where it's at. There's nothing worse for Klal Yisrael than losing hope. 
when we lose hope that we're going to be taken out of a tzara, that's the ultimate yish, the ultimate state of hopelessness. You now it says we have similarly, um, you have in, in Golas Mitzrayim, by the Mak of Choshech, it says many, many people died. Who died? So we always say, the Rishon. But the question is, what do you mean? Many Rishon left Mitzrayim, right? <laughs> because they left Mitzrayim, even when they're, when they're about to cross the, 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 the uh, Yamsuf, so you have the Malachim saying, Hashem, why are you destroying the Egyptians and letting the Jews through? Halalo of the Avedizara, halalo of the Avedizara. They're both idolaters. So you have many wicked people leaving Mitzrayim. So who's the ones who died in Choshech? What, one Russia goes and one Russia stays? What was the, what was the logic? So the Sfarim say, who died in Choshech? Those who had lost hope for Geula. Those who didn't, when Moshe Rabbeinu said, we're going, they said, forget it. Slave mentality. We're not going anywhere. In other words, as long as there's a hope for redemption, as long as a person is looking forward to Geula, to redemption, then, yeah, tzaddik, not a tzaddik, he's perfect, imperfect, but you're on the right boat. As soon as one gives into those feelings of you, shiush means that one loses hope. If one loses hope, then there's nothing that, that can really be done for them. And that's why those are the people who died in Makas Chosha. And that's the story, that's one explanation. This is the first explanation that we're giving here of what was so bad of going to that feast and why the whole Klal Yisrael is gonna, is gonna, has a decree of annihilation because they went to the feast. It wasn't the going to the feast. It was expressing a loss of hope, a loss of hope in Gula, a loss of hope in redemption. And there's nothing more detrimental to Klal Yisrael than when we lose our hope. Are there any more Ramazim tests that that could be shot? I mean, I'm not saying it's not a person. Are there any Ramazim to that? Um, good question. I don't know offhand. I don't know offhand. But um, this, is a, this is a beer that's given. This beer that's given. In who fact, is that beer? So it's based on the works of the Manos Alevi, who is oh, Rav Shlom Malkovitz. He wrote a lot in the... Yeah. He wrote a whole sefer on the Megillah. And he was, a, he was the one who wrote the Lachadodi that we sing Friday night. Oh, he does. Yeah, Shlom Malkovitz. Teacher of the Ramak, right? And it's fast. Tremendous Sadiq. Um, so the story is, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll conclude this part with a beautiful idea from the Chidot. The Chidot is Rav Chaim Yosef David Azulay, lived about 300 years ago. Tremendous Sadiq wrote many, many svarim. So he writes, in our davening, we say a very powerful statement. We say, We ask for the coming of Mashiach, right? And then we say, Like racist, you know, his horn of salvation. Because for your, your salvation, we wait every day. What kind of reason is that? Bring Geula, bring Mashiach, because we're waiting. We don't say because we're keeping Shabbos, because oh, we're eating kosher, we're learning Torah, we're, not, we're doing a lot of mitzvahs. Yeah. And he says, the greatest zuchus that we have for Geula is that we're waiting for it. That it's 2,000 years and we didn't give up hope. That we daven three times a day and we say, Hashem, we want God to go us. What we're saying is that nothing that will ever happen will take away our hope and our desire for Geula. He and that's that, the Chidah. That. This is from the Chidah. Beautiful part. He says it's the Pshat of the words that we daven. You know, sometimes we say words so many times. He says it's the Pshat of the words. He says, Kedayu zechus hakivui. The zechus of waiting is the zechus that's Kedai to bring us the Geula. And therefore, so, so to conclude this part, and that was, that's reason number one, what was so terrible about going to this feast, because this feast was the expression of hopelessness, of giving up hope. The gula is not happening. That's the worst. As long as l'shu'ascha kivinu kol hayom, 
then we're going to come out, take another day, take another day, but we're coming out. But losing hope, that's the first step. Anyways, that's one explanation given to this child. I want to explore... How, how Ahasuerus smells that Jews lost their faith? Well, Ahasuerus makes a great feast, and the feast is celebrating that the 70 years are up, and the Jews show up and they say, okay, we're oh, part oh, of so it. So for him was uh, their Right, for him that was a celebration. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to a second explanation. Very different, but also a very, very beautiful and powerful explanation. And we'll go back. The question is, what, why, because we went to Ahasuerus' feast, are we deserving of annihilation? And here we have another explanation that goes like this. Really, we understand it. Well, it's a punishment. They went to Ahasuerus' feast, and they, they did an Avera, so Hashem punished them and says, you know what, Haman is going to come and he'll destroy all of you, or he'll threaten to destroy all of you. So this is from, uh, that's not the pshat. It's not a punishment at all. It's rather, it's a natural consequence of what they did. What's the pshat? The Medrash says, Medrash Tanchuma, says that Klal Yisrael is compared to a sheep, Kiv Sa'achas, one sheep, Bain Shivim Ze'evim. They were surrounded by 70 wolves. The 70 nations of the world are compared to wolves, and we're one sheep. You know, we, have, we don't have a lot of friends in the world. You know, history has proven that. And we're always in a very precarious state, in a state of danger. So how are we surviving? The answer is, Godol Haro'eh, the great, the, where's the Medrash? The great uh, shepherd, which is Hashem, he takes care of the sheep. Doesn't matter how many wolves surround us, if we have Hashem as our shepherd, we're good. What happens, though, if the sheep says to the shepherd, you know what, I don't need your help. I found a new a new one is going to watch over me. You know who? One of the wolves. That's, that's my new savior. The shepherd says, okay, fine. I'll, you know, I'll take a nap. L- let your new protector take over. Right? In other words, the following. Really, our existence, we're surrounded by enemies. What keeps us in existence in Golos for 2,000 years? Hashem. As long as we say, Hashem, take care of me, as long as we put our faith in Him and our trust in Him, Hashem is not, uh, is not impressed by all of the nations of the world, and Hashem can, uh, Hashem can very easily have us survive forever with, surrounded by as many enemies as, as there are. But what happens when we tell Hashem, so to speak, Hashem, we found someone who we can trust now. We're good. When the Jews come to Achashverosh and they come to his feast, and they don't just come because they have to. Nehenu, the words of the Gemara was, they enjoyed, they were happy that they were there. Why were they so happy to be by that feast? Because we're in good graces with the king. The king will take care of us. Right? We're good. We're not in danger anymore. We have a, you know, we have a, we have a Mordechai is a minister of the king and he's in the palace and we're good with the king and good graces. We go to his party, the king will take care of us. So Hashem says, so to speak, oh, he's taking care of you? Fine. Let the story play itself out. What happens when Ahasuerus is taking care of us? Well, very quickly, there's a gzera, there's a decree for the annihilation of the Jewish people. Because Haman becomes big, and Haman talks to Ahasuerus, and immediately, you know, within no time, all of us are in the threat of annihilation. Extinction. In other words, in other words what's the idea here? The pshat is, not, it's not a, like, I did an Avera, we did an Avera, Hashem punished us. It's not an Avera and punishment. The question is, where do we put our faith and trust? As long as our faith and trust we recognize is from Hashem, then of course we have to do our, what we call our ishtadlos. Yeah, we have to be good, we have to go to the king, but that's not where our trust is. 
as soon as we remove our trust from Hashem and we find other places in which we place and feel our security and our faith and our trust, then we're finished. Because those aren't real places of security at all, as the story of Purim um, shows us. And what's very beautiful now is when we understand that this was the root of the problem, we'll see something beautiful later in the Megillah. Okay, Haman rises to power, this decree comes to be, Mordechai finds out the Jews are in deep trouble. What does Mordechai do? In the story of the Megillah, what does he do? Puts on sackcloth and ashes, walks in the streets, cries, and gets the Eden to do tshuva. What logically should Mordechai have done? Let's remember, Mordechai is a minister in the king's palace. The king just, just signed a death threat, death, penalty, death threat to the Jewish people. What does the minister do? You know, start lobbying your, your friends in the, uh, in the Beis HaMalchus, in the castle, and you make an audience with the king, start working things, right? You're, that's why you're a minister. Mordechai doesn't know any of that. In fact, he puts on sackcloth and ashes, which actually precludes him. He's not allowed to go into the king's palace, as the Pusik says. You can't come into the king's palace wearing sackcloth. So Mordechai does everything wrong, seemingly, as far as what he should do to avert this calamity. Right? That's how Mordechai... Now, let's, let's go into the palace. What's Esther going to do? Finally, Mordechai tells Esther, you got to go to the king. Esther says, I can't. you got to go to the king. So Esther says, okay. So what does she do? What does the Pasuk say she does? She fasts for three days. Now let's think about this. What's Esther's grace in the king's eyes? Achashverosh is not a tzaddik. Achashverosh is not impressed because Esther is a tzaddikis. Esther is a beautiful woman and that's how she got to Achashverosh in the first place. So if she has to go now and intercede for the Jewish people, what should be her approach? You know, go to a beautician. <laughs> right? Let's go to the beauty parlor. Let's come into Achashverosh and give them all we got and let's do, see what we can do, right? What does she do? She fasts for three days. What does fasting naturally do to a person? So she's going to walk into the king looking emaciated. So everyone is doing the opposite of what they should be doing. <laughs> if we would write the book, right, the, the minister, the, there's a terrible decree against the Jewish people, but we have two checks on our side. One of the great ministers and the queen. That's power. But the minister and the queen both took the exact opposite route yeah, yeah. of what we would expect them to do. So what's the pshat? What were they thinking? The answer is that Mordechai and Esther knew exactly what's going on here. And they understood what brought about the whole Xerah. What brought about the Xerah was that we placed our trust in the king. That was the whole problem. The problem was that we, we forgot that our, our security and our excuse me, our safety comes from Hashem and from Hashem only. And all, all our brachas that we get and our existence is from Hashem. And everything else that we do is just making vessels for Hashem's brach. So when you have to correct a problem, you have to correct the root of the problem. Right? You, you can't focus on the vessel when the source of blessing is like a person who, who wants to, he needs money, so he just, he's going to spend a lot of time making uh, wallets. I need money, right? So I'll just create wallets to have money. Wallets are only vessels to hold the money. You have to get the money. Mordechai and Esther understood the problem with the Jewish people was that they, that they left the ways of Hashem, that they didn't put their trust and faith in Hashem. So they understood that the solution to the problem was first and foremost getting Hashem's bracha. How do you get Hashem's bracha? Through davening, 
through fasting, through doing shuva, through inspiring the Jewish people. Once that's in place, it's such a gavaldic. It is so gavaldic. These words here, you see, it's so clear that that they're teaching us that there. So, so once that's in place, so then, then I'll go to the king. I'll take care of business. But if our faith is in the king, so number one, we have to focus on making him happy. And we have to become beautiful for the king. And we have to use our political powers. If our safety comes from the king, then we put all our focus on the king. If we recognize that our safety comes from Hashem, and the king is a puppet, the king is Hashem's vessel, then we put our efforts in our relationship with Hashem. We put our efforts in davening. We put our efforts in fasting. We put our efforts in doing tshuva. And when that's in place, we'll go to the king. We'll take care of that also. That was not the Iker. And that's how Esther and Mordechai were able to totally um, turn it around. Turn the ship. You know, exactly, exactly, another, uh, I'm missing the right word. Exactly what the mistake was, they corrected the mistake. The mistake was we put our safety and security in Akashverosh. The antidote, the cure to the mistake was forget about that. Forget about the king. We have to deal with Hashem. We have but to we get things people, straight with Him. I mean, I'm sorry? How do we see this that the people... Have, so, well, because Mordechai wasn't just crying himself. This is Mordechai gathered the Jews of Shushan. Mordechai, yeah, the Medrash says he gathered 22,000 children. Mordechai brought Klal Yisrael to Tshuva. And as Esther tells Mordechai, um, create a fast for all the Jewish people. Everyone is fasting. Everyone's fasting. Everyone's doing Tshuva. So everyone's changed. Everyone puts their bitachon on Hashem. Now that everyone's in the right place, now Esther will go to the king. Now we'll do what we got to do. But but first you have to take care of the ikr, and the ikr is in our relationship with the Kaddish Baruch. Great. So here, so this is the Indian. This is this this is that Indian, and so basically the, the the I think the essence of the story, both what brought about the tsara, as well as what brought about the bracha and the geula, both was about the same thing. Where is the focus? Where do we recognize is the focus of our bracha? In nature, in the means of nature, and the king of the time, and the president of the time, or whatever it is, or is does our bracha come from Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and everything else is merely vessels and vehicles to bring about that bracha? And if you think about the bigger picture, this is really the expression of the entire story of Purim, and in the way, in in, in what way it's different than all the other nisim that we have. You know, we have Hanukkah. We have Pesach, we have Shavuos, and we have Purim. In what way is Purim so different? Or we have Sukkot. In what way is Purim uniquely different than every other Yom Tov we have? Anyone? There's no miracle in the story. Nothing miraculous happened in the story of Purim. Pesach was miraculous from every side. Matan Torah was miraculous. Sukkot, the divine clouds were miraculous. Hanukkah was miraculous. In Purim, there's no miracle. It reads like a novel. From beginning to end, right? There's a king and there's a queen and there's a good guy and there's a bad guy and there's a decree. There's nothing going on. Not so much so that Megillah is the only sefer that doesn't say Hashem's name in the whole Megillah. Meaning you could read the entire Megillah and say, God, where? where? God didn't enter the story. What did he do? He wasn't part of this. It worked out. It all worked out wonderful. So Purim is the only Yom Tov that is no miracle. And yet we make We all make a bracha right? I see Hashem's name That Hashem performs miracles Where's the miracle of Purim? There's no miracle What's the answer? The answer is That's exactly the message of Purim That every 
part of nature is merely a vessel, is merely a puppet. Hashem brings a, Hashem has big son of Sarah want to kill the king, and Hashem has Mordechai hearing in this story. Hashem has Haman having Vashti killed. Hashem sees to it that Esther is elected the queen. Hash, every step of the way, a Yid looks, wow, look at Hashem's hand. Look at Hashem, how Hashem orchestrates every single part of the story. So the story of Purim, the message of Purim, is that nature is not a cause, is not a source. Nature is a vessel that Hashem orchestrates. That's the whole entire, that makes Purim different than every other yontav we have. In fact, Megillas Esther, let's think about the words. The word Esther means hidden. Megillah, to reveal. Megillas Esther is to reveal that which is hidden. Hashem is hidden in nature. What's the Hebrew word for nature? Teva. Teva. What is another meaning for the word Teva in Hebrew? To be drowned, to be covered over. Tovea, Tubu Bayam, right? So Hashem is covered over in this big disguise called nature. And on Purim is a time that we look right through it. And we say, that's not nature, that's Hashem. That's not a nice novel, that's not, didn't happen to be. And how many times do people say, I just happened to be here, I happened to be there, I happened to bump into this, I happened to bump into this. Right? People say, oh wow, it's such a small world that I met you. It's not a small world, it's a big world. It's just very well managed. In other words, it's all Hashem. It's all Hashem. Big world, great managed. It's, it's all Hashem, and that's what Purim is. So just, just to review, because we, we're saying the same thing from every side. That was what the mistake was. The mistake was they went to the, to the feast, they thought, okay, Ahasuerus will take care of us. That was the mistake. The antidote was, Mordechai and Esther saying, we're not going to the king, we're going to fast. We're going to Davin, and then we'll go to the king. Right? And the whole story plays itself out without any miracles. And Claudius Yisrael says, She'asa nisim laviseinu bayamim mehim bizman hazeh that we recognize that the biggest nace of all is the way Hashem orchestrates every detail of this world in this natural way. That that's Hashem behind every single step of the way. And that's the only place we put our bitachon. That's the only place we put our faith. And we don't go to the suda of Achashverosh. And if we have to go, we have to go. We don't go with hano. We don't go with pleasure because we recognize that that's not where our security lies. I'll finish with one, one last uh, word. And that is an important part to remember about Purim. Purim is a tremendously holy day. Uh, you know, sometimes people think it's just a day of silliness or whatever, which is, which is nonsense. It's a tremendously powerful and holy day. In fact, the Zayar says that Purim is the same name as Yom Kippur. It's called Yom Kippurim. And really he says, in Sfarim Darizal says, that Purim is higher than Yom Kippur. Because Yom Kippur is called Yom Kippurim. That Yom Kippur is like Purim. That means that the level of, of godliness that we're able to attain and connect to, it's interesting, both Purim and Yom Kippur are connected with a goro with the lottery, right? Because on Yom Kippur, they made the lottery between Zushi and on Purim. The name Purim means lottery. The, na- the actual name is lottery. And that's the lots that Haman, drew, the Haman cast to know which uh, Chodesh it would be. Lottery represents something that's beyond logic, beyond rationale. And that's the deepest connection that we have to Hashem that's higher than Seichel. It's not based on understanding. It's not based on any level of uh, what we can explain. It's an essential relationship of the Nisham of Eid and Nisham of Hashem, which comes to Revelation on Yom Kippur and comes to Revelation on Purim as well. So much so it says, it's also a special time for Bracha and Tefillah. Um, the Halacha is that on Purim, that anyone stretches out their hand, your hand, their hand for asking, you give them, you give Tzedakah. On Purim, you don't ask any questions. It says in Sfarim, that whatever Hashem tells us to do, He does Himself. 
So important when we're pushing yad to Hashem, when we ask out, when we dive in properly and ask of Hashem for what we need, physically, spiritually, for quality of soul, for us to. Uh, uh, um, individually and collectively, it's a time of bracha, and Hashem should, should give that to each and every one what they need. And to call Yisrael the Gula Shleima, Amir Hashem, this Purim, and even before. Where's the live by?